0: this is loudspeaker
1: hey there i'm your host sarah moneros and you're listening to the we podcast where together we find inspiration encouragement and growth through stories and real talk here we navigate the messy human experience together we raise our voices and speak our truth In this space, we value the conversations that broaden our perspective and help us fully understand that we are connected, we are capable of growth, and that we are not alone. Are you ready? Let's get real. You're listening to episode number 93 with Rhonda Solis, Rhonda is a powerful force in her community and it was a joy to be able to talk with her and learn from her. She is an advocate for increasing the representation of people of color on boards and commissions and in elected office. She really wishes to empower people of color to be involved on all levels in their community. She's involved in many, many community organizations. She has received multiple awards for the leadership that she has displayed in her community. She's also a wife and mother, and she is in her eighth year as an elected school board member for Greeley Evans School District 6. She believes that education and the right to vote are the great equalizers. In this nation and she continues to be a champion for public education and for people being a part of our political process this was definitely an enlightening conversation and I know that you're gonna get a lot out of it I love that we're able to have a helpful and candid conversation about the current issues of inequality and The things that are really, really needing our attention. Also, ways to move forward differently. So, I can't wait for you to hear. Here is my interview with Rhonda. Welcome to this episode of the WE Podcast. I'm really excited to have Rhonda Solis here with me today. And I got to see Rhonda at... A couple protests and the women's march that I was a part of here in Greeley, Colorado earlier this year. And you, Rhonda, were a speaker, I think at all of the events that I attended. And I just loved hearing you speak. I loved what you had to say. I loved your energy and what you're doing in the community. And can just tell you're such an advocate for people. And so I thought I need to have Rhonda on my podcast. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for the invite. This this is actually really exciting. This podcast is really all about talking about our stories and talking about, you know, the harder things that people don't necessarily like to talk about. And I think that a lot of things that you're advocating for and really doing a lot of social justice work in, in our community are things that people don't, really talk about, unfortunately. So I I love to bring light to kind of your perspective on that. And I'd also, before we get there, I guess, I'd like to know a little bit of your background story and what's kind of brought you to the work that you're doing today.
0: So uh, my family actually lived in Erie, Colorado, which is between Greeley and Denver. And it was really, really small at the time that I lived there. And it just had like one paved road, which is totally different than what it looks like now. And at the time, I lived with my grandparents. My mom lived there, too. And then my mom got married, and we moved to Greeley, and I did some schooling here. There were some family dynamics that kind of had happened that caused me to go back to Erie and live with my grandparents. So I lived there for a while and then moved back in my high school years and finished my schooling at Greeley West High School. And so a lot of what I learned and experienced has kind of shaped who I am, how I am, how I think. And there's a lot of experiences that I haven't had, but have witnessed knowing that that could be me. You know, it's that you know, same old saying of, by the grace of God, there go I. Knowing that, you know, there's just different tiny little circumstances or different uh, things that could happen in your life. And that's where you could be. And so although I've had some challenges, I also recognize that it could have been a lot worse and that there are people that are going through a lot worse. And anytime you grow up in poverty, I think you get an understanding of how the layers and layers of things that continually happen keep you in poverty. And when you talk about family dynamics, there's also patterns and pathologies that are passed on generation to generation. And so that's a whole nother, you know, list of things that you have to get through, figure out, dissect, and figure out how do I heal those, how do I do things differently, but not totally lose where I came from. And so that's kind of been the journey, is just really trying to figure out who I want to be in this life and how I came to be. And what are things that I can let go? What are things that I need to heal? And what are things that I want to bring new into my life and my journey and pass on to my kids. So it's all been a, a journey, a learning experience and, you know, trial and error, obviously, just like everyone else. And just different things and people that I've met, different experiences that I've had, things that I would have never thought would happen in my life. I look back at pictures and it's just like, how did I meet these people or how did I do that? Or how did this you know happen to be? And it just is just some strange things that have happened. If one door opens, you go through it and then that opens another door and That's just kind of how I've lived my life and just meeting people, learning new things and just really figuring out that there's a lot of people that don't have a voice at the table. And if you get in a position that you can be that voice, then that is your responsibility. So that's kind of a synopsis of you know, just a
1: small version of how I started and kind of got to where I am. Mm, Yeah, I love that. There's a couple of things that I would really love for you to expand on in that and, one thing you said is that there's layer upon layer that keeps people in poverty. And uh, I want to zone in on that because I've heard a lot of people say, well, you can change, you know, it's, it's up to individual will, like they don't understand those generational dynamics or the systemic issues that are going on that kind of, keeps people there. And so I'd love for you to talk just a little bit more about that. When I think COVID
0: has actually given some people a kind of a lens of what it is to be poor, when there are outside things that dictate, make decisions for you. Yes, there's opportunity, but you have all this red tape, all these hoops you have to jump through. And just when you think that you're there, something else changes. So I've seen like businesses, let's take that for an example. You know, you've worked really hard, you've started this business. Well, now the pandemic hit. So now we have some guidelines. So now you have to find money to, you know, change things and how you do things and kind of figure out how to do things differently within your business that you've been running the same way for years. And now you're faced with this challenge. Well, now you've made those changes. Well, now the rules changed a little bit more. And then COVID got worse. And so then you got closed down or you can only do this service. And I feel like that's a prime example of what it's like to be poor. You work really, really hard and then you have this one situation happen. Well now that took you five steps back. So then you keep going and you figure out, oh, if I do this plan or if I you know apply for this, this could be helpful. Well now I have this better job but I don't have any daycare. Now I'm gonna have to pay for daycare. Now I'm in a whole you know total different situation. So I really feel like people that have thought they they did everything correctly now in the pandemic are faced with those same situations that poor people are. I mean, these are the things that happen to them. Just when they think they're up on their feet, something else pulls the rug out from underneath them. And it just seems like it's layer after layer. And so COVID has been really, really interesting, I think, in teaching us and showing us gaps and and magnifying things that we haven't done so well. And then also putting people in positions that they never, ever thought they would be in. I mean, we have a lot of families visiting, you know, the food bank that never thought they would have to go there. And so this has just really been a challenging time for people. And I feel like it's like, welcome to being poor. This is their life every single day, trying to figure it out. People are getting things in the way, putting more barriers in their way. They're just trying to do the right thing. And it just seems like they just can't get their head above water.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really brought a new level of awareness for a lot of people. Correct. And so how do you think that relates for people of color? Like what what is the difference, do you think, um, for that population?
0: Well, during COVID, just like anything else that we see that happens within the United States, um, any kind of catastrophe or disaster tends to affect people of color at a higher rate. Um, So those things that they were already facing are now magnified to the 10th power. And so we see people of color um, really having to work even harder than they even thought they would have to before. And some of those possibilities are now gone. And so I think it's just really, really been a struggle. And unfortunately, we're learning also that, you know, COVID taught us that we're interconnected. You can't separate yourself from the poor. You can't separate yourself from people of color. We are all interconnected. If this person has COVID, and they're at a public place, then you could get COVID. And so um, I'm hoping that humanity kind of realizes that we have got to do this together. It can't be what's good just for me. And what about me? It really has to be, how are we going to do this well? We also learned that there are a lot of people that still don't have access to healthcare. That's a problem. And so when you think that it doesn't affect you, it does. And so that's, that's a huge concern. And again, we see people that are you know, in poverty, people of color, people that are monolingual. Maybe English is not their first language. Um, one of the things I talked about with COVID is this whole thing has been confusing and I speak English. It's been confusing because what you hear at a county level versus a local level, city level versus a federal level or state level, everyone's talking differently around COVID and is totally confusing. You don't know what you're supposed to be doing. Now, imagine if you're a monolingual Spanish speaker. English is not your first language. A lot of these terms are terms that you wouldn't necessarily use in your everyday language. And now you're trying to figure out, okay, what do I do? And I see a challenge now that we're talking about the vaccine, because there's a lot of people of color that don't trust the system, don't trust the government. And now we're going to depend on them to get this vaccine. And we haven't done our work to make sure that they feel, you know, welcomed, part of everything and that, you know, we need them and not just to do the hard jobs that we don't want to do, but we need them to be part of our community. We need them to be part of our society. They need to be at the table talking to us, working on relationships, and that just hasn't been happening, and now we see it magnified during COVID.
1: So you're currently serving your eighth year as an elected school board member for the Greeley-Evans School District 6, and that's one thing I really heard you talk about um, at I think the protests and definitely, and one thing that you said at one of the protests was you were talking about how uh, people of color in the schools don't have education about their own histories in the schools. And that really, really, really stood out to me. And I know I'm kind of switching gears here, but I, I think it's important to talk about because. I think that that's something that nobody has talked about for a really long time. So can you tell me more about your experience on the school board and kind of what you were talking about that day at the protest? Well, growing up a person of color, um, when I
0: was actually going to school here in Greeley Evans, I was one of few people of color at the school. And so I really stood out. And it's really hard to figure out where you fit in. And you don't see people that look like you. You don't read about people that look like you. And so if you're struggling with your home life and family dynamics and you're not hearing positive messages at school about things that we've contributed to the history of, of this country, it's really hard to have that confidence and just that self-esteem that is really, really important. And I think the fact that we don't hear those stories of people that came before us, I mean, it took me, you know, going to the Latino Institute to learn that the Colorado Constitution was actually written in three languages. It was written in English, Spanish and German. You know, and there's people we've had numerous conversations around language and people thinking it should be only English. Yet at the start of the state of Colorado, it was in three. And so that's history that a lot of people don't know. And I think that's really key when you're talking to other people, because you see the amount of hatred and the amount of anger around just, you know, having to pick one for English and two for Spanish when you make a phone call. And so I think it really shapes not only how we feel about ourselves as people of color, but also how we're perceived by others. And the fact that we don't have that history, we are treated as less than and more like, um, you know, hard workers in a field or at a plant, and that's all we contribute. And there's just no higher level of, you know, involvement on our part, which is untrue. So I feel as though if kids were to learn that in school, both white children and children of color, it would change their perception of each other and their experience in school. And a lot of times, especially here in this community, you hear a lot of derogatory terms when it comes to people of color. It's, you know, they're illegal or they're a gangbanger, and these are the only terms that we ever hear, and if that's all you hear as a child, then that writes on the soul of who you are, Mm -hmm. and it's really hard to change that, and do we have enough things in our community to help change that? And so I think that there's just a lot of kids that are in the community that just don't trust it, which is unfortunate,
1: and a lot of people that contribute and aren't recognized for their contribution. In our education system, we really are run by the white narrative, right? Of Correct, correct. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's a history written by white males. And right. so that is the lens. That's the only
0: view. And when you have that, it's just really interesting to see why would it be any different? Then why would we think any different? And I was just involved in a conversation. Uh, there's a group reading How to Be Anti-Racist. And we were talking about a chapter. And in the chapter, it talked about all these different books that were written you know, decades ago describing what Black people were and what they weren't. I mean, it was there in a book for people to read that you know, implanted in everyone's mind of what their perceptions should be of Black people. And then we wonder why we're in this position now where we're talking about police brutality or discrimination or racism because it was in these books for so long. People were reading these words and to them, that's history. That's the way it was. And so it's taking generations and generations to filter that out and change the narrative of how we see one another.
1: Powerful. My daughter's half black. And I would have said before this year that I was a pretty woke person. Um, <laughs> and I laugh because that's not true. <laughs> I mean, I in the last year have gotten more awareness, I think, than m- my whole life as far as, you know, the, the reality of r- systemic racism and, and the reality for um, people of color, e- even having a daughter who's half black. And so I think that, again, there's so much more awareness. And there's still so far to go. And so what do you think about what's kind of happened in the last year for the awareness of people? And then also, where do we need to continue to go? Because I think a lot of people think, oh, okay, you know, this happened. I'm more aware now and it's kind of over, which is not true. Well, it's interesting to
0: see people that I think in their minds think this was like so long ago that all this stuff happened when the little girl that was escorted to school by police officers because they were trying to desegregate a school is still alive. And so I feel like there's this disconnect of, oh, that was a long time ago. That wasn't me. I didn't do that. And yet we still see things that are happening to this day that, and I think, you know, a lot of the awareness happens with Black Lives Matter and the protests and the conversations. Of, you know, it's one of those things where you take five steps forward, and yet systematically we're ten steps backwards. And so I think the awareness has to keep happening. Those conversations, which are very tough conversations to have, um, need to keep happening. And we need to to really dive deep into our systems. And that includes me as a school board member. That includes city councils. That includes you know county commissioners. What are we doing to make sure Access is available to everyone. And that's really a key word to ask yourself. Is this accessible to everyone? If we roll this information out about COVID, is that accessible to everyone? If we make this policy or this change to our school district, is that accessible to all students, to all parents? And so I think there's not enough organizations that are diving deep. And a lot of them don't know how to do that work. A lot of them don't have people within their own system that can, you know, kind of point or direct or give that lens or give critique. They don't even have those employees there. When you look at the makeup of the city of Greeley employees, when you look up the makeup of the school board or even our school district, our administration does not reflect reflect our community. And when that happens, you're missing a huge lens and it that conversation never even happens until you have somebody like me on the board who's really pushing that narrative. And so I think it's a time I hope people will choose to take that challenge. I think that there's going to be some that are just hesitant. It's too hard or it makes them feel too icky and uncomfortable. And unfortunately, to anything that you do, whether it's a family situation, something within your marriage, you have got to deal with it and you're going to have to feel icky. You're going to have to have that tough conversation or it's just not going to get better. And so it's just a matter of the will. You know, do you have the will to do that? Do you have the will to be that person? you have the will to make sure that, you know, we figure this out and make sure we're at least heading in that direction. And I think you have got to be really, really conscious about not just checking a box because I think when pressure is placed, it's like, okay, well we got to do something. So let's have this conversation about race and we'll have like a Zoom meeting. And, you know, then that's like, okay, box check. But there's no follow up. There's no additional planning. There's no conversation of, you know, what's the next step. That's just it. And so I think you see some people just trying to appease people and they'll just check that box and that's not enough and so again you're going to have to have those people that keep pushing and saying yeah you need to keep digging deeper you need to do more and keep going and so and unfortunately it takes protest you know i know that people were sometimes angry about the protest but we have been doing this work the way we're supposed to within the system for decades and it's not moving hardly at all mm-hmm. and so when something like George Floyd which I had came home on my lunch hour and my son was home and he showed me the video and I was so upset the rest of the afternoon I had to drive back to work and I was in tears it's like I couldn't believe what I just saw and that it's you know we're in the year 2020 how is this possible what what is wrong with people mm-hmm. and so I think it's unfortunate that we have to get to the point that we have protests Um, but um, you know, we've tried all the other avenues, you know, I've raised my hand, I've, you know, asked questions, I have pushed a little and you get pushed back and you get squeezed out to the point where they just, you know, you're not well behaved. So we're just not going to let you at the table. We're going to squeeze you out, which has happened to me on some other committees. And so it's just one of those situations that sometimes you really need to interrupt the system and just stop it and really, really make it count. And I really give applaud to all those people that took to the street, that showed up for protests, that showed up, you know, to show support because that's really important, and I think that has helped when it comes to even the political process of people getting involved and actually voting and really starting to listen. And so it's it definitely had some positive things. Um, the hard part is again it magnifies the gaps and the places that were really ugly right now that we haven't fixed, you know, especially around police brutality and watching peaceful protesters be attacked by people in you know riot gear and so there's just there's a lot of conversations that need to happen and we can't keep doing things the same way and expect different results it's just not going to happen so Mm -hmm. I definitely applaud people because it took a lot of courage and I know that there was a lot of anger and a lot of you know frustration and the fact that there was as minimal destruction as there was is a miracle with as much frustration and anger as there was. I totally applaud them for being out there doing what they did and not burning every city to the ground. Because I know deep down inside, if we opened them up, that's what it would look like. just a whole city burning. And so I think it's, you know, it's, it's it's a lens into what they feel on a daily basis. And so we all needed to see it. We all needed to witness it some of us showed up for it. And we'll continue and and take that with us in the fights that we do every day.
1: Yeah, I love what you said about interrupting the system, really needing to rock the boat. And that really is it that that's what this whole time feels like to me. And I think, you know, as as a therapist, I even see people individually, they don't change, they don't make progress forward if they're not feeling anything. If if they're comfortable and they're cruising along and you know everything feels fairly status quo and easy, that's not when change occurs. And so I think that this is so necessary and the icky that you're talking about is something that we've got to lean into and and embrace as Something that's really positive.
0: When you think of all the things that we have, you know, gotten through as humans and where we are and the possibilities, and it's just, you know, really important that we figure out how do we do this together and this individuality and this competition and this way of life that we have here in the United States that we create is so, so dangerous. I feel like in a school system, we need to really have the ability to to teach children how important it is that they work together to solve things, how they work together to fix things, and again, how we're interconnected. It's just one of those things. and, And I feel like COVID, or as ugly as it's been and how destructive it's been, it's one of those things that has really pushed us to really look at what we do, how we do it, and how things and should be different and the things that we haven't thought about, the things that we weren't working on, we really need to put our energy there, you know, whether it's eating less meat, whether it's global warming, whether it's healthcare for everyone, all of those things I think have been magnified during COVID and we've been fighting it and fighting it and I think now we can kind of see, oh, this really does have some ramifications. We've seen it in COVID. How do we do this different? And this is kind of one of those interruptions. COVID has been one of those interruptions that you and I just talked about to humanity and how are we going to do this different and how do we do this better together? And maybe the things we thought were important, weren't really important. And the things we used to do every day that we thought we had to do, well now we can't do those. And maybe those weren't as important. I think the biggest loss obviously is human connection and, you know, meeting people, being with people, that's been the the most detrimental. But it's almost like we're in a a human timeout until we figure stuff out. It's like, you guys need to do some stuff different. And you guys are all in timeout right now. (laughs) And I'm I'm challenging you. And so let's see you rise to the occasion. And so it's been disappointing to see certain people take it so individual. And, you know, I'm not going to wear a mask. You can't tell me what to do. And yet a lot of these people live in an HOA that, you know, this person tells them what color their house could be. That seems to be okay, but you don't want to wear a mask. And so I just think that there's some people that have their view on life a little skewed and it's and they take it so personal. And I'm I'm hoping this opens some eyes for some people.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna ask you actually, what do you think about people who are talking about having their freedom taken away right now with all of well, this?
0: Well, it's like anything. With you know great freedom, power, um, money, there's responsibilities with those. And you know I, I look at it as there's so many people that are such proud Americans. And yet, if I was an enemy to this country, looking how we've been through COVID, I would be like, hmm, biochemical warfare wouldn't be a bad option because they are so selfish that they wouldn't take care of one another. And we would just have to introduce it and they would do the rest. And that's so sad to me because that shouldn't be the way it is. I mean, even us as a county, we haven't rallied together. We've been fighting amongst ourselves on everything and everything is political. And it's like, okay, worst case scenario, let's say the mask doesn't cure everything. And I think people are still confused that a mask doesn't protect me from COVID. It protects me from giving it to you. And so I can wear a mask all I want. But I could still get COVID because there's other people that are not wearing a mask. And I work in the dental field. So aerosols and and mask wearing, gloves and cross-contamination, those are part of our, you know, dentistry 101. So we've known this stuff. So we are a high-risk employer. And ever since we were reopened, we haven't had any employees get COVID. We haven't had people come into our office and get COVID from our office. And it's because these things were already in place. There were a couple extra additional things we added um, to add to the, the filtration of the air and stuff. But other than that, we already had a lot of this stuff in place. So we do know that there's science. We do know that there's history to back this up. And it's unfortunate that people will take this to be a political stance and just like a defiance kind of thing instead of, you know what? I'm going to do it. This is, you know, it, it, this is my intention. I want it to be good for you. I wanted to help us through this. and, Regardless of whether it works or not, I'm going to do it because people are saying it works. And so I'm going to trust that and just go with it. And unfortunately, that's, that's not what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And uh, but we see that in numerous things, you know, when it comes to guns, when it comes to, you know, money, when it comes to paying taxes. The conversation around social democracy versus capitalism is an interesting conversation. So there's just um, some interesting ways that people view the world and, you know, view politics, view their responsibility in in community and the hard part is sometimes our kids see that and the people that are supposed to be the best
1: examples that should be shown the most these kids are watching mm-hmm. and we need a better job uh, for me it just really all comes back to your, our responsibility to the greater good to to humanity to love and care and have compassion for each other and th- that in my opinion is what wearing a mask is all about it's a it's a physical way to show your love and compassion for other people. And so I think that you're right. I mean, that's really something that's missing because we are so individualistic and worried about ourselves and worried about advancing ourselves and not not worried about other people. I think that's, we seriously talked about moving out of the United States <laughs> for a while, but the thing is is I'm like all of the other countries know how selfish we are so they don't want to take us either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine just moved to New Zealand. And so hearing her
0: perspective of how it is there versus here, it just, you know, it just really makes me think gosh, we have so much work to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. We have a lot and, of work but to do. There's hope though. I feel mm-hmm. as though our kids really get it. I mean, they are a lot more open to global warming, helping the environment, and volunteering. And so I'm really, really hoping and putting a lot of trust in them that they actually do get it, and they're going to be our future leaders. And we're going to have to apologize big time to them for being the example that we were. But, yes, please do better than, than we have been doing. So, yeah, there, there's definitely hope. You're listening to a podcast on the loudspeaker network to find other podcasts and unique programming visit www.loudspeaker.fm loudspeaker diverse voices unique sound feminist hot dog is back with a new season packed with awesome interviews with icons artists innovators authors and lots of surprises whether you consider yourself a hardcore feminist or you're feeling feminist curious, tune in Wednesday nights at 8 Mountain and get all the information and inspiration you need to live your best feminist life. Listen Wednesdays on Loudspeaker and Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, love yourself and love your fun. One of the best things about being on this school board, especially going to graduation, and just seeing these kids and hearing their speeches, oh my goodness, I believe every graduation just bawling Mm -hmm. because it's like, these are high school kids? Are you serious? And where are the adults? You know, they need to be listening to these kids because they're just so amazing. They get Mm -hmm. it. They understand. And yet we have so many that have blinders on that that don't, that are actually in elected positions, which Mm -hmm. is concerning.
1: Yeah, I've learned more from my kids, I think, (laughs) than anybody else. I mean, they are really good teachers. Yes, that's for sure. Sometimes hard. Those are hard lessons. (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. (laughs) So let's talk more about the work that you're doing on on the different boards and, and with the elected officials, because it feels like. That's where your feeling is is it maybe the most powerful place to focus as far as change, um, as far as really affecting the system goes.
0: Well, and I, I definitely feel like we do a disservice to putting people in a box of what it needs to look like to be an elected official. I feel as though we get the same people that are in the same circles making all the choices and decisions for everyone when. We have such a diverse community. And so when I was doing political training, a lot of the training I had to do was through connections that I had in Denver. So I would take part in any kind of free training that I could. And they also had a thing called the Latino Advocacy Day, where they would have elected officials of color come in, talk to you, Um, people that were doing nonprofit work, talk to you about issues, uh, talk to you about things that were coming up legislatively. And a lot of us had never even met with our legislator. We didn't even know that that was a thing that, you know, we, and and that they're our legislator. So I started attending LAD and it's just Latinos from all over Colorado that would gather and have these conversations. And then they would set up meetings with our legislators at the Capitol. So we would all walk to the Capitol together and walk in those doors and go talk to our representatives. Obviously, that's a little intimidating, especially when you don't totally understand the language around certain legislation and you don't really you've never met these people before. And so I think sometimes in our minds we kind of have that that mindset of, you know, well, maybe not me, but somebody else should do that. No, it really should be you. Especially if there's something really important to you and you have a story to go along with why that's important to you, that matters. And so doing that over the years, it just made me sad that I had to go so far to do that. And that there was nothing here. So when I attended the Latino Leadership Institute in Denver, they kind of really push you to think of things that you can go back to your community and do. And one of the things, the mindsets that I had in my head was, if what I need doesn't exist, then I need to create it. And so that's kind of when I had that little thought in the back of my head, I need to get that training going here in my own community. We need people to feel comfortable and confident sitting on boards, sitting on commissions, and possibly running for office. And we need to make that training, you know, accessible here, so people don't have to be traveling to Denver all the time. And we need to provide it in different languages and and that type of stuff. And then the other thing that happened was there was another person that had went to LLI before me. And we started, you know, getting together and I would talk about what we were doing in in our sessions and stuff. And he would kind of, you know, we'd talk back and forth and give each other advice and kind of really talk about issues and those conversations were just so exciting to have and it's like man i just wish that we did this on a on a regular basis and i said you know i've been thinking about a podcast and he's like we should do it So then we put this podcast together because there just really wasn't anything for people of color especially latinos and i don't speak spanish so spanish radio isn't just something that i would go to naturally and a lot of the other things like leadership and, and other things that they have in my community are put on by Caucasians. And it feels so much different attending those versus attending the things that I was going to in Denver. I was surrounded by people that look like me, that had, you know, similar experiences in their community, who had experienced racism, who had experienced being trying to squeeze you, you know, squeeze you out away from the table, who have made you feel like you're you're less than because are talking too much or you're too abrasive or you're too aggressive and you're bringing up stuff that makes people uncomfortable. So it was nice to have these conversations with people that had shared that same experience. And it was interesting to me as a school board member, like even around Hispanic Heritage Month, we didn't really do a big deal here in this community around that. And when the go- Governor Polis got elected, the first year that he was in office, that Hispanic Heritage Month came around, he invited us as elected officials to the governor's mansion, which I've never been invited to before. And it was all Latino elected officials from all over Colorado. And he had this big celebration for us. And at the time we had Stacy Zuniga, who was on the city council of Greeley. We had Allie Johnson, who was on the city council of Evans. And then I was on the school board and us three ladies went together. And so we're in this group. And when I walked in the door, I, I did not even fathom what I would feel like when I did that. It was so overwhelming. And I came back and I was just so sad because I hadn't pushed that in my community. I hadn't pushed my my district to really celebrate Hispanic heritage much. I didn't realize how impactful it could be until I went away from my community and experienced it. And it was interesting because the governor even called us out. He's like, you know, we have Rhonda Solis here who's on the school board and Stacey She's on the city of Greeley Council and Allie Johnson. And these three ladies come from Wells County. And that's a really hard place to be a person of color and run for office. Mm-hmm. We had all these people all of a sudden look at us and we're like, whoa, this is this is huge. Mm-hmm. And when I came back and I would tell people the experience, it would still choke me up because it was just so impactful. And I just didn't realize how how nonchalant I had been in my community about, oh, okay, we don't celebrate. Okay, okay. And just let it be that way. And this past Hispanic Heritage Month was the first time there was a proclamation done by the city of Evans, the city of Greeley, and the school district to recognize it in our community. First time ever. Mm. And so I hope that that's an ongoing thing. We recognized an employee through the district and had him come to the board meeting, tell us his story. And it's just, we just need to do it more often. But unless we have somebody who pushes that, it's not going to happen here because people are fine here not celebrating it. And that's unfortunate, especially looking at our history and our makeup. Mm-hmm. But again, it's one of those things in history that our children don't see, they don't witness, they don't experience, we don't talk about it. And it's just this one time period in a, in a year that you you know even remotely might talk about somebody like Dolores Huerta or something. And so it's just something that we have to do on an ongoing basis. And these kids have to be exposed these amazing people that created things, I mean, that have been part of our lineage for, for centuries. I mean, we're talking mathematics, we're done from people that look like us, they created it, and yet we never talk about that, that aspect. And so, it's just really need to be proud of where they come from. And I know that some people try to make children feel bad about being bilingual, and I am just so jealous of these kids that are bilingual because it ends in my family at my generation. I let it go. And so I just try to really tell them, you are so fortunate that you speak two languages and you need to make sure you read and write it because the doors that it's gonna open for you are doors that are not open for me right now. And I wish I had that. So please be so proud of that. And you speak that language everywhere and anywhere that you want to. Mm-hmm. And so it's those kinds of conversations that kids don't hear often enough.
1: Two questions for you. How do you feel or or what can you tell people who are maybe thinking wow, like I didn't know that I could be on a board or run for office or I didn't know I could do that. And so what advice would you give them for getting started and and going down that path?
0: I think it's really important to tap into things that you're really passionate about. So really look within and and try to figure out what those things are. And then go speak out and search out and ask people, you know, are there any boards or commissions or are there any groups that will work with this? I mean, it can even be a nonprofit that you volunteer for that can have an impact for something that you believe in strongly. And then you, they might need somebody on their board of this nonprofit. Those doors are, are all around you. You just need to go navigate it. And if you need help, that's again why we started the Latino Coalition of Wells County. We want to help people navigate those different things and help them kind of, you know, is it a nonprofit that you're kind of looking at it, being on a board? And I had no idea there's actually boards that pay you to be on them and you can actually make some pretty good money. I had no idea. Um, One of the boards that I was on early, early and somebody had told me about it uh, was the Atmos Energy Customer Advisory Board. And so I applied for it and they flew me to all these different Atmos Energy places. Like they had a place in Texas. They had a place in Kansas. And I would basically go in there. They would wine and dine us, show us all the different things, and then they would ask us questions. You know, how could we do this better? How could we make customer service better? What would be your ideas around this or around that? And so I literally just gave them my opinion, but it exposed me to a lot of different people, and I got to learn more about the company, and I got to really start using my voice and my experience as a consumer, and as a mother, as you know, a community member. My experience, in my opinion, is needed. And that was the first time I felt like, oh, okay, maybe I can do this. And so it was just kind of the beginning. But even those small little steps can kind of help you
1: in in trying to figure out where your place is and what your passion is. Putting yourself out there, taking the one step at a time.
0: Well, and I think for people of color, and I'm very guilty of this too, we tend to stay in our circles you know we are very family oriented we do a lot of things with our families and not necessarily go out into those circles and even now as a school board member i've been invited to a lot of things and rubbing elbows with other elected officials and stuff and then there's still stuff that i feel uncomfortable with and still rooms where i'm the only person of color that doesn't totally go away i'm not going to promise you that it does there's still those those instances but i'm telling you to push through it because you belong at that table you belong in that group and they need to hear from you and don't let that intimidate you at all.
1: What would you say to the white people who are listening? Because I, I think I, I mean, I have a bigger white audience probably who want to be a part of the solution, who wanna help, who want to um, see people of color being more involved on all levels. How, how can we do that? What would you say to those people?
0: So definitely have conversations. And I don't mean superficial conversations. I mean deep conversations about people's experiences in your own community. I think that sometimes we have people of color and friends, but we don't necessarily talk about that. stuff. So ask the question, have you ever experienced racism? And if so, in this community, what what happened? Talk to me about that. I want to hear about it. And really give people a, a comfortable place to start having that conversation. And even within, you know, your own your own groups, there's definitely some books that have come out that you could have a book club or a book read. And it might be more comfortable with other, you know, Caucasian people. But then I would invite somebody to maybe chime in on a chapter of like a friend of yours that you know you've known for a long time, but you haven't had these conversation. And it's a person of color kind of get their viewpoint. And so I think that could kind of be a starter of it. And wherever you work, I think it's really important to be real conscious of what's happening around you. What are things that you see, what you see people saying or joking about that you might be able to stand up and have courage and say, you know, that's just not right. Or that's just, you know, you should not be saying that, especially in a workplace. We have people of color here and it's, it's offensive. And so I think there's just, there's a lot of different ways to dive into it if you don't feel comfortable doing it in a group then get a book and just read it for yourself and just you know dive deep into your to your own life into your own beliefs even myself I've had to do that so I have some family members that were from Spain like my mom had green eyes and so there's this kind of feeling within my family and this is where that colorism thing came in that if you know we're better than newly arrived people from like Mexico. And so I had to dive dive deep into my own family and I've called them out and said, you know, that is not appropriate. And let me tell you the difference and let me tell you what the experiences have been. And this is what we need to do. We need to band together and work together because there's gonna be situations where they don't care when you were born here, you got brown skin and they're gonna lump you with every person with brown skin. And so you need to get over that. And so again, it's that diving deep within your own experiences, your own family, and having some of those conversations. And I know some people give people a pass, you know, oh, my uncle, that's just the way he is. He's always going to be that way. But I do feel like there's a delicate way to say something, to interrupt that system, to, you know, change how that conversation happens a little bit. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to be offensive. Although sometimes I feel like I want to do that sometimes with my family. But there are some, you know, delicate ways that you can just say, you know, this is what I learned. Or this is somebody that I know who's undocumented and that's really offensive to them. Or, you know, I have students that are called these derogatory names because people have these conversations like you're having right now. And so just, you know, try to figure out the best way to word it um, delicately or even have that conversation, you know, start the conversation. Why do you think that? Why do you feel that? Where does that come from? And a lot of times they'll tell you a story that got them to start thinking that way. And it was just like one example. Experience, and then it was a broad brush. And it's like, well, let's talk about that some more. And just, you know, let me tell you about some of my experiences and just start having those conversations. And again, it is tough. Um, they're not easy conversations, even especially with family. But they're, we have to do this. We, we have to have those tough conversations. And if we expect kids, I'm amazed what we expect kids to do um, in our schools and how we expect them to get along and how they treat each other. And, you know, we just don't do that as adults. And
1: I don't understand why we have these expectations of our kids, but then yet we don't do it as adults. Yeah, I totally agree. So a lot of it is really empowerment, empowering people of color to step into those leadership roles. And people who are not of color, empowering them to empower uh, the people into those roles, voting for them. And, finding that power to rock the boat, to question, to not allow it to go the way it's going, to disrupt the status quo, for sure.
0: And I know that sometimes even, you know, maybe it's not a conversation around racism. Maybe it's a conversation with another woman who's experienced discrimination for being Mm -hmm. a woman. Mm -hmm. And so those those experiences are, are very similar to what a person of color has, but it's just Double for a person of color. So as a woman of color, I had to figure out how to feel strong as a woman, and then I had to figure out, okay, now how do I feel strong as a woman with brown skin? Because they're mm-hmm. two different things. And yeah. so I think that there's a way to connect as women, and I think women are naturally nurturing, and we're more open to having these conversations. So definitely have a women's group, uh, and and start start talking, start figuring out how you can step up and and represent and be an ally. And really talk about these tough, tough issues, because I even know to this day, there's women that are Caucasian that still experience, you know, um, being discriminated against. And so I think we still have a lot of work to do as women. Mm -hmm. So let's
1: let's keep having the conversation. Definitely. Yeah, that's definitely something that I can identify with for sure. I love this conversation. Thank you for having it with me. Thank you for inviting me. I, yes. I want to know, I want to ask you my uh, two last questions. And the first one is, is what do you feel has been the most vital to your growth? So when I
0: was younger, I was very timid. Um, I didn't join any groups or clubs at school. I didn't play sports um, because of family dynamic and because of being a person of color. I just like wanted to blend into the wall and just get through high school and not just put, put too much attention to myself. And so I really struggled. And then I met, I started working for a female dentist. And at the time, there were only two here in Greeley. And I didn't even fully understand it at first because I was still young. I was 18. But of how difficult it must have been for her as a woman to be in this field that's predominantly men. And so I just really watched her and worked with her. And I worked for her for 10 years. And she's she's still a very close person to me. Um, and She really helped me develop as as a woman and and I could see as a woman what she did. But then I had some instances happened um, while working for her that reminded me that I was a woman of color. And at that point, I had to seek out some other tools and I ended up finding Hispanic women of Wells County. When I joined that group, it was this group of women who were anything from just an amazing mother to someone who had started their own business and everything in between. And they were doing community work together. And they would have this annual breakfast every year where they would recognize Latinas in our community for outstanding things. And we had a great speaker every year. And so I started being involved in that. And one of the things that we would do is we would design some of the winners. You would have to tell their stories. You would have to go interview them. You would have to do the write-up. And then you would have to you know, speak in front of all these people and tell them about this person. And so one of the ladies who kind of took me under her wing, who's still like a mom figure to me, she invited me to start doing this. I guess we call it Voluntold. She Voluntold me to to be part of this group. (laughs) And little did I know that public speaking was something that I could be very, very good at. I would have never even imagined. But because of this experience with, with this organization, that's kind of what got me started with public speaking. And so just being around these women, they were teaching me about the history of all these people that looked like us that had done all these amazing things and locally some people who had done that work and you know all their different stories and the history of Greeley and just what their experiences have been and they slowly became my moms and my aunts and my sisters and so we would go do community work together and it really empowered me and really made me blossom into the person that I am and I give them total credit for the speaking things that I've been able to do and I mean in 2012 I was invited to introduce Vice President Biden when he came to Greeley. And in that moment, I'm thinking, I never went to college. I don't have like this really high paying job. And yet here I am in front of all these people and they're listening to me and my daughter is in the audience. That is so crazy to me. But it had it not been for Hispanic Women of Well County and really pushing me out of my comfort zone and making me trust them, you know, I, I was able to step out. Of my comfort zone because of them, I knew they had my back, and so because of that, I was able to tap into some things, some gifts that I had that I had no idea that I had, and now that just helps me. I've done a public radio show, a political show. I've interviewed, you know, people, politicians. I've interviewed some movie stars, and so just the different directions that things have gotten because of you know these different experiences, I really credit Hispanic women of Wells County, and to this day, I'm a member. I was a president for a few years, but I just think that organization is just an amazing organization, and it's been around for I think almost uh, 30 years now. Mm. And and the the founder just recently passed away, Charlotte Rodriguez, and so I just really give a lot of credit to these women. I there is something diff, different about when women get together, mm-hmm. and when we do work together, I feel like we literally change the vibration in the universe. There's just something in our energy and how we are loving towards each other, and when we you know, push for something when you have us all together and we're about an issue and we're working together on that issue, there's going to be some change. And so I just, you know, it just really made me appreciate that that family. And although we're not blood family, they've all adopted me and they're still in my life to this day. And they will all be very,
1: very special to me. Mm, That's amazing. Do not underestimate the power of women. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) As we have our first, female vice president. I know. Woo-hoo. <laughs> it's amazing. Yes. Yeah. I love when women come together. I, I, it's so, so, so powerful. Really getting vo- involved in a community is, is really important, really, really important to our growth and moving forward, getting out of our comfort zone. That encouragement, I think, from other women is huge in yeah. that. In, in and I, I think,
0: I think women and people of color, we have that imposter syndrome, you know, where, yeah, I just don't see myself there. I'm not smart enough. or I'm not strong enough or, you know, I'm not pretty enough or I don't have the experience. And so we talk ourselves out of things a lot. And it's really important to to know that you don't have to talk yourself in or out of anything. You have an experience. You have a lens. You've been a community member. You've had an experience working for someone or raising children. All of that is important information. And they're going to want to hear from you. And that's all you need to know. Your story, your experience, all of
1: that is relevant and bring it to the table. Amen. Walking away from this podcast, what do you want to make sure that people know?
0: That you should do whatever you think you are, you know, wanting to do. Anything that sparks your interest, anything you have a passion for, you know, figure out how you take it to the next level. Um, Because that's really where change comes from is when you have someone who's really passionate about it and has a story to go along with that passion, that changes minds, that changes hearts. We've seen that in the political realm of, um, and I can give you an example. We have some young girls from Yuma and we would go to Latino Advocacy Day every year and they would go talk to their representative about immigration and he would not budge, but they came back year after year after year. And finally, after them telling their story, over and over and different stories, he started to change. And so I think it's one of those things where change comes from us really understanding each other. And that's why your podcast is so great because storytelling and, you know, talking about your experience, that is so impactful. And even now that we have this, you know, vice president of color, seeing her and hearing her story, it tells other young girls, that could be me for that never was there before. And so I think it's just really important that we make our mark and that we show our our daughters and our sons of, you know, what it's like to really push for something you believe in. And sometimes you're not going to make a ton of money with it. Sometimes you have to do a job that you, you know, you do it for the money, for the insurance, but then your side gig is this other thing that you love. Um and that's kind of where, what has happened to me. I love my job. I love doing what I do. And I think working with people in dentistry, because that is not a favorable place for people. So being able to talk people through that or talk about money or make them feel comfortable coming to the office, those are extra tools that I've gained that have helped me in the other stuff that I've gotten. So always be aware of these opportunities that can add tools to your toolbox. And it might be something small or it might be something big. And then it's going to be something I didn't even realize that I had that tool. And now I just pulled it out, and I used it, and now it works, and it's amazing. And so just never underestimate what those volunteer experiences can bring, Um, working with other people, getting your name out there. When I, I ran for school board, there were four seats open, eight people running. And because of the community work that I had done, people knew my name. I was number seven when it came to donations and funding for the election, and I was number three in votes. So that work matters when you start you know, putting that out there. And the other thing that happens is that when you start working with people, they understand who you are. And you, there were people out there that didn't agree with me, but they knew I was sincere. They knew I was passionate. They knew what was important to me and that I didn't change whether I was talking to them or if I was in this other room talking to them. My, the way I felt about things stayed the same. And so they, they knew that they could trust what I was telling them to be the truth and that I was authentic. And so when you put yourself out there and you have those experiences and you're meeting all those different people, one, you start gaining relationships that you didn't know you could have before. And two, it starts opening doors to other things because you were, you know, volunteering here. I think you'd be a great volunteer over here. Or I gave your name to someone because I think they have this opening, I think you would be great. And Mm -hmm. so I just, you know, put yourself out there and I know it's hard and I know it's You know, uncomfortable. And the reason I actually started getting involved, not only because of of the stuff I was passionate about, was because of my kids. I was a single mom for a long time, and my kids were my life. And as they were getting older, I was like, oh my gosh, once they go, I'm going to die of empty nest syndrome. I will like need to be on meds because they are my life. I'm used to seeing them every single day. I thought, man, I better do something. I needed to volunteer, do something put my energy somewhere else. I have something for me Hmm. versus just being a mom and just being identified as a mom. And so that was also what kind of helped me. And what's really funny is my kids are now 30 and 27 and neither one of them are married and neither one of them have kids and they both live at home still.
1: So they're still here. (laughs) 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 So I didn't lose them yet. (laughs) That's awesome. And look at the impact you're making on top of that. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Amazing. Well, I want to let people know how to find you. And I know that you have a podcast called um, Podcast Latino Northern Colorado. Yeah, the podcast is called Latino Northern Colorado. Uh, You can get it on Spotify. Uh,
0: We have several different um, episodes that are out right now. The first one really talks about how our podcast got started. And it always just warms my heart every time I listen to it because it brings me back to that moment. But we've had interviews with people. Uh, Our latest one was about the High Plains Library. Uh, We've also had Dolores Huerta on there talking about, you know, just kind of the difference of when she first started doing activism work, to where we are now, what's different, what's the same. Mm. Uh, We had Stacey Zuniga on there, who is the president of the Latino Coalition of Wells County. She was on the city council, and she had also started the nonprofit uh, before. And she's just been really involved in the community and just kind of hearing her passion. And again, it's one of those things where she just was one of those people who had a passion and started doing something and that led to something else. And uh, she's just been really, really involved. And her and her spouse have done work around campaigns and helping people of color run campaigns. And that's just, you know, another conversation. We don't have enough people running for these, you know, positions. And it is hard. You put yourself out there, it costs a lot of money, but just know that there's people there to support you and that, you know, they're they're there to cheer you on. And that we really do need to make sure that our commissions are, you know, elected our city council, our school boards, they need to reflect our community. If we're really going to have a successful board, if we're really going to see
1: successful policies, it has to reflect our community. Where else can they find you? I
0: LinkedIn? Yes, I'm on LinkedIn. That's my public page. I mm-hmm. don't have a school board page because I only have one year left. And so um, my Facebook page is private. But I also started a brand called Honest St. Grace. I had put my name in for a position, and one of the questions that they asked me, and it just kind of came to me. They're like, "Well, you know, it was was House District 50. There was a vacancy, and I put my name in to fill the vacancy. And they had asked me at the time, you know, what what's it going to take? And I said, "It's going to take honesty and grace. It's going to take honesty of somebody who has the courage to sit in this seat after what just happened, and knowing that there's going to be challenges, you know, in the future for this seat. And it's going to take grace to win back those people who feel let down for the person that they voted for." before. And so that really resonated with me. And so when we talk about leadership and and that type of thing, I'd like to do some leadership for girls and women. And that would be the the theme of it. And so kindness and grace is something
1: I'm also working on. Mm, That sounds amazing. All right. So I will have links to you in the show notes. And so people can find you more easily in your podcast uh, as well. And so I would just encourage if you're listening to this podcast and you feel a tugging reach out to Rhonda find her get connected with her and uh, learn more listen to the podcast thank you so much Rhonda for being here thank you for sharing your heart and your experience and thank you for all that you're doing in our community
0: well and thank you I think you know people's stories are really really important and for you to do this I think is another way of us doing better together as humans and really you know going past the superficial and really learning about one another. So I applaud you for your podcast and doing this work. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to the We Podcast. I'm so grateful you were able to show up with us in this space. If you'd like to connect, please look for links to our social media and ways to get in touch in the show notes. This show is produced by Loudspeaker Networks. Also, credit to my talented daughter for creating my show music. You can find Moo of the Wee podcast, as well as many other awesome things on the network, at loudspeaker.fm. If you've heard something that touched you, please don't forget to share with your friends. Remember, your story makes you who you are. Speak your truth, show up for the hard conversations, choose growth and always know that you are not on this journey alone. See you next time.
0: This has been a production of Loudspeaker Networks. For more on this and other programs, visit loudspeaker.fm.